Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Amen. All right. Well, I want to start talking to you today about the subject, on the subject of worship. On the subject of worship. It's something that's really been on my heart to do for a while, um, and I just felt like it was time to do that. Uh, something I'm very excited about in this, in this series that we're going to be going into is uh, we get, we're eventually going to get to hear from our worship pastor himself, Paul Compton, uh, later on uh, in the coming weeks, um, which I'm, I'm, I wish I honestly, I probably should just set the mic down and hand it to him and let him take this whole series. He's had a lifetime of, 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 of learning worship, what true worship is. And, um, and so I'm, I'm mostly excited in this series to hear from him here in the next couple of weeks. But until that happens, yeah, get me. Amen. Yeah, all right. Amen. All right. This topic of worship. Before we, uh, before we get into what worship is, I want to give a brief uh, couple statements of what worship is not. Uh, you've heard me give these, these before in a message in the past, but I felt like it was worth repeating once again. Uh, but I, I want to make a distinction here of what worship is not. Number one, worship is not entertainment. Worship is not entertainment. This isn't a uh, Brad Paisley concert. I knew most of you would get that, that relate to that. Right? On a Sunday morning, we're not having, we're not having a concert. This, this is not entertainment. It's not about that. I know we are extremely talented up here on the worship team. But it's not about that. And, and of course, I think immediately a lot of church folks, when they think that, they think, right, it's not about smoke and lights. And you're exactly right. It's not about, I'm not even talking about smoke and lights. In fact, if you have smoke and lights or if you don't have smoke and lights, I really don't care because, once again, it's not about entertainment. It's not about that. So, number one, it's not entertainment. Number two, worship is not a warm-up for the message. It's not to get us good and comfortable in church so we can sit down and listen to the preacher give the word for the day. I've had probably more encounters with the Lord in worship than I ever did sitting and listening to a preacher preach. So don't, we don't wanna, I wanna make sure we don't take the time before the message lightly because it is not just a warm-up for the message. In some ways, I think it's just as, if not more important than the message. So worship is not a warm-up for the message. Worship is not a style. It's not a hymn. It's not a course. It's not a Gregorian chant. We want to go way back in the history of worship. In fact, I would even venture to say, we may mention some of this later, worship is not even music. Music is an avenue and an expression of worship, but music in and of itself is not worship. Worship is not a preference, though we may have preferences. Worship is not a specific style. It's not a specific, it's not, a, it's not even necessarily 
music itself. It's not the latest song playing on K-Love, or for those of you who are cooler, uh, what is it? What is it? Air One, yeah. The new K-Love. It's not about the latest song playing on the radio. The question really is, what is the Father saying in this house? What song does he want to hear? Worship, here's the last one. This one hurts. Worship is not about you. There are times in much of our church services where a lot of it is about us, where the Lord is ministering to us. And he can absolutely, here, I hope you understand, he can absolutely and he does minister to us in worship, but ultimately, worship is not about us. Proof, listen to this, proof that our worship has become about us and not him is when it is graded on how it moved us and not by how it moved him. When we grade worship, when we make comments after Sunday morning service of, man, I just, worship was just a drag today. Or man, they they didn't play any of my worship songs today. I just could not get into it. When you grade worship by how it moves you, you've completely missed the point of worship. It's not about what we feel. It's about did we make him feel something? It's about did we move his heart this morning? Did he receive ministry this morning. Worship should never be graded on how it moved you or how it made you feel, only if you moved his heart in worship. It's not about us. I could probably spend a little while on a list of what worship is not, but I don't really want to do that this morning because I want to talk about what worship actually is. Amen? What is Worship. What is worship? Number one, worship is about the posture of your heart. First and foremost, worship is about the posture of your heart. Matthew 15, starting in verse 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he quotes this scripture that actually comes out of Isaiah. But he says this, he says, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That these people draw near to me with their lips. Let me say it again. They draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Lifting your hands in worship, singing along with the words and the song, even dancing in worship. All of these things can be expressions of worship, but they in themselves are not worship. They in themselves are not worship. When you do those things externally, it's, it's great to be expressive in that way. But just like, like Jesus is saying here in the Bible, 
He says, their lips honored me, but their heart was far from me. So you can have your hands lifted in worship. You can even jump up and down and do all of the expressive things in worship. But if your heart is distant from him, the scripture actually says that your worship is in vain. Not only is it not real and genuine and authentic, but you're doing it for no reason. Because worship is not about the external expression. It's not about the lip service. It's about where your heart is postured. Where is the posture of your heart? Listen, and I'm all for lifting your hands. I'm all for singing along with the songs. And sometimes, sometimes those are the catalyst to get your heart in the right place. What I'm saying is, is worship is not the lip service. Worship is the posture of your heart. Where is the posture of your heart, amen? Where is the posture of your heart? Number two, worship is thanksgiving. Psalms 100, starting in verse one, it says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures for all generations. So if worship is about the posture of your heart, then thanksgiving is where that posture is. When the posture of your heart is in thanksgiving, then the posture of your heart is correct in worship. Amen? I love this verse in another translation. It says that thanksgiving is the key to his presence. That if we want to experience the presence of God in our services, thanksgiving is actually the key to unlock that gate. Thanksgiving is the key to unlock that gate. Amen? Number two, worship is in spirit and in truth. In John chapter four, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and uh, they're having a conversation, and they get, Jesus begins kind of reading her mail. You all know the story. He begins kind of reading her mail, and she goes, I perceive you are a prophet. You know, she's got good eyesight, I guess. She perceived that he was a prophet. Then she says this. She tries to kind of change the subject, I think, a little bit here. She gets a little uncomfortable and tries to change the subject. And she says this. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will never on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
that those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. I think there's lots of ways we can expound on this verse, but I, w- I just want to briefly say in a nutshell, kind of give an example or give a synopsis of what he means by spirit and in truth. And I, this is what I believe it means, authenticity. Authenticity and spirit and in truth that your inner man, your being, who you are, worships in truth and authenticity. You know, we, we, we came from a, a, a church growing up, but then also went to the Ramp School of Ministry where we saw all kinds of expressions of worship. And when I say all kinds of expressions of worship, I mean all kinds of expressions of worship. We give you some, some examples. There's one of our students who, uh, who he was kind of newer in his faith, and, uh, and he, he read in, the, in, in Samuel where, where David comes into the city and he's worshiping, and it actually says that he worships so much that his robe comes off, his, his priestly robe. So he thought, I want to worship like David worshiped. So he goes back in the corner and he takes his shirt off and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe not that authentic, you know what I mean? <laughs> so we saw some crazy stuff, right? We saw some, some, some expressions of worship. There was, there was one, another student who in worship, she didn't do anything except for stand there with her hands like this and just cry. All worship long, she just stood there with her hands like this and just cried. And Amber, Amber tells how she used to see her and think, like, oh, come on, you know. And now, in worship, Amber just stands there and cries. <laughs> so, so be careful how judgmental you might be over someone's expression of worship. We saw others that would dance in worship. I remember one little girl in particular. She was maybe at the time maybe Eden's age, maybe seven or eight years old. And she would be in the back, and we usually sat in the back, and, and she would just be just lost in dance and worship. And uh, I loved just sitting and watching this little girl, the purity of her heart in worship. There was other uh, gentlemen, other men, who their expression of worship was simply just to close their eyes and sing along with the song. And that was their expression in worship. And it was real and it was authentically them. Jesus said that your fathers say to worship on this mountain and the Jews say to worship on this mountain. But he says, I don't care which mountain you're on. True worshipers Worship in spirit and in truth. Your expression of worship is not going to look like my expression of worship. Your expression of worship may not look like Pastor Ron and Jackie's expression of worship. It may not look like Matthew's. It may not look like Bob's. It may not look like Jeff's. Your expression of worship may look differently than somebody else's, But what matters is that it's authentic. That it's coming from a place of being genuine. That it's coming from a place of a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of connecting with the Father. 
and telling him how good he is over and over again. And however that is expressed in you, then that is okay, as long as it's authentic. So worship is to be done in spirit and in truth. I love how the verse goes on to say, it says that that you worship in spirit and in truth, and it says that the Father is actually seeking out those who worship in spirit and in truth. That he's actually looking for it. He's actively pursuing those whose worship is authentic and real and genuine. Worship is about being authentic, connecting with the heart of the Father and authenticity. Amen? And the Lord is actually seeking those. He's trying to find those whose worship is authentic and real. This is the, this is the last one I'm going to spend some time on. Worship is extravagant. Worship is extravagant. In our culture, when we want to worship, we pull a guitar on and play a song. In the Old Testament, when they wanted to worship, they took their most valuable animal and they laid it on the altar. For us, the sacrifice of worship is maybe a few minutes. For them, the sacrifice of worship was part of their livelihood. Their best, their most expensive. We have made worship about singing songs. And like I said, that's absolutely an expression and an avenue. I heard, I heard this recently and it, it hit home so well for me that music needs the word of God inside of us that it actually, it weaves the word of God inside of us. And I love that idea of, of music and worship, that it's, it, is an ex, it is an expression. It is a, um, what's the word? It is a, um, a way of getting into worship. That's not the way I want to say it, but you understand what I'm saying. Avenue, yep. Avenue of worship. But we've made worship about singing songs, but real worship is about expressing his worth to us. Genuine worship is about expressing his worth. Let's read John chapter 12. I didn't mean for it to be this heavy this morning, so, but that's all right. I, I think it's, I think the Lord is doing something, amen? John chapter 12, starting in verse one, says, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom had, he had raised from the dead, there, were, there they made him a supper, and Mary served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spinegar, spick, spikenard, there we go, took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil 
not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had money, had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me you will not always have. Perfume that Mary poured on Jesus' feet um, is called spikenard, or sometimes, sometimes it's just called nard. And it was a very costly oil. It was an oil that was found only in the Himalayas, in the northern region of India. It was the only place you could find this plant that was, that was a nard plant, is what it was called. And, and because of its rarity, it was extremely expensive. It says in the Bible, it says it cost 300 denarii, which in today's currency would be about, let me, let me see here, would be about $54,509. How many of you wives want some spinning, sp- spike nard for, for Christmas this year? $54,509. It says that that would have been about a year's wage for the average worker in those days. It was said, it's, it's believed, many scholars believe that this could have been Mary's dowry. It could have been her inheritance, what she received from her parents. And she walks into the room, kneels in front of Jesus, breaks the jar, and pours all of it on his feet. Pours all of it on his feet. When I first was thinking about this part of the message, I wanted to say that worship is costly. Worship is costly. It's expensive. But then I read the passage again. And I realized to Mary, it was not hard to pour out the expensive perfume that it was not costly to her because his worth was far greater than the worth of the perfume. There was no cost for her. There was no sacrifice on her part. Every drop of that perfume was worth pouring on his feet. That he was worth every bit of her expression and act of worship. Worship is not costly, but worship is extravagant. Worship is not expensive, but it is very, very highly valuable. That what we give to the Father may cost us something, but it is worth every penny, every price that we pay. It may cost us time. It may cost us some emotion. It may cost us, it's going to cost something, but every, every bit of it is worth it because he is that valuable. Amen? And when you pour out something extravagant and costly, 
you may have those in the room that look at you and say, that was a waste. In fact, in Matthew, it says that Judas actually said those words. He said, why this waste? Why would Mary waste this valuable perfume? It could have been sold and given the money given to the poor. It could have been used for some good, but instead you chose to break it and pour it all on his feet. What a waste. And listen, worship, when you are giving it extravagant, when it is genuine and authentic, when it is coming from a place of, of genuine authenticity and it's costing you something, there are going to be those who look at you and say, it's too expensive. You're spending too much time in worship. You're giving too much. You're too emotional. You're too expressive. You're not expressive enough. You're going to get the naysayers that say, it's, it's a waste. It's not worth it. But then you have Jesus who looks at you. And he says, this woman's act of worship is so valuable to me that it will be written up and generations and generations and generations will know of this act of worship, this act of genuine, authentic, heartfelt, costly, extravagant worship. Worship is not costly, but it is extravagant. Worship is authentic. Thank you. Another part of this verse that has always caught my eye. It's one little sentence. I think it's in verse three, at the very end of verse three. It says that when Mary broke the flask of oil and poured it on Jesus' feet, it said that the fragrance of the oil filled the entire room that they were staying. Filled the entire room. And I want to tell you, that when you worship in authenticity, when you worship extravagant, it changes the atmosphere of the room. That others may want to be anywhere else, but right here. The Judases in the room are going to be in the room. They're going to be saying, why this waste? But your worship affects the entire room, that even the Judas in the room had to smell the fragrance. Some scholars believe that this extravagant act of worship, because of the amount of perfume, one, that was poured on his feet, it's even possible that as the soldiers were nailing feet into the cross that they might have been able to smell the act of worship. This one act of extravagant 
heartfelt worship completely changed the atmosphere of the room. And everyone, everyone had to be affected by it, whether they wanted to be or not. And I want to tell you that your worship is important to this place. authentic expression of worship. I hope I hope that you all understand. I know because of my background and coming from a place like the ramp that a lot of people may may misunderstand when I say extravagant, I mean crazy. <laughs> and I'm totally fine with that expression of worship. That's not what I mean. I mean authenticity. I mean genuine. I mean you. How do you express your authentic heart of worship? It's not, it's not the jumping up and down and raising your hands that changes the atmosphere of the room. It's the authenticity of your heart that changes the atmosphere of the room. When it's real and it's extravagant, when it's genuine love for the Father, when it's genuine thanksgiving, it changes the atmosphere of the room. And your extravagant worship can lead others into a place of extravagant worship. Your worship is important in this room. Every Sunday, we set aside time at the beginning of service. We set aside time for worship. We don't do that for those who enjoy the music portion of the service, although I'm glad you do if you do. We don't do that because it's what every church across America does. It's not why we do it. We do it to provide a space provide time for the most important thing which is to sit at his feet and to give him our authentic expression of worship and so every morning when we come into this sanctuary we have a choice to make we have a choice to make we either come in give lip service or we come in with an authentic expression of the heart. And I don't say that in a, in a way of saying that I don't believe that's happening. I say that because I do believe that's happening. Because we come in, when we come in with that authentic expression of, of worship, that costly expression, then it changes the atmosphere in the room. Thank you, Jesus. I asked Paul to sing this song at the end of this service because it fits so perfectly with what the Lord is sharing this morning. And I just want to ask at the end of this service, we're not going to have
an altar call or anything like that. But I just want to take a few moments for us to be able to align our hearts with the Father's heart this morning. Just take a few moments and allow that authentic expression of worship to just flood from outside, from inside of us. To allow an opportunity for us to worship for a moment in this in spirit and in truth. And maybe you've struggled with that. Maybe you you have struggled in worship. But I, I just want this to be a moment where you can you can authentically connect your heart to his heart. And you can express your heart of worship and thanksgiving to him. However it is that you can authentically do that yourself. So if you want to, just stand with me. If you need to just sit, if you need to come to the altar, whatever you need to do, we're just going to sing through this song. We're going to begin expressing, releasing our fragrance of worship.